Kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. It is Tuesday the 7th of September, just after 8 o'clock. The big news today is, of course, on the COVID front, where last night we learnt the detail of what Delta 2, the new level, will mean for the rest of us outside of Auckland from 11.59 tonight. It essentially means that uh, anyone trying to run an indoor event, so some sort of um, conference or cafe or restaurant needs to have a maximum of 50 people indoors and keep them two metres apart. Uh, There's also a limit of 100 for people at outdoor events and mask wearing is mandatory for all indoor public spaces. That is going to crimp uh, quite a few people's style and the event sector in particular and in a, in, the, in the South Island and Wellington in particular are going to do quite badly out of that and it looks like it will last until Christmas. Uh, we heard from Michael Baker that he expects these sorts of restrictions particularly around mask wearing to continue right till the end of the year and you have to um, expect that even if we do get down to some sort of what would normally be a level one situation. The risk of intrusions from the border uh, means that if you're going to avoid nationwide lockdowns, you need these sorts of restrictions in place to avoid a, um, a very fast outbreak. Watch out today for more news on whether we get these extra doses of Pfizer. Remember, we're running a vaccination program at currently double the expected rate, about seventy to 80,000 people a day. Remember, that's uh, almost 1.5% of the adult population. That's amongst the fastest vaccination rates daily in the world, uh, although obviously we're still at the bottom of the OECD tables for fully vaccinated people. Um, this is all uh, interesting because if we can get these extra doses, maybe a couple of million extra doses, um, potentially with a swap deal where um, later this year or early next year we swap some Pfizer doses we get but don't need with someone who currently has Pfizer doses that they have but don't need and are due to go off in a couple of months, then um, we could get those doses now. This is a deal that Australia did last week to get in 4 million doses from Britain. Britain's at 80% vaccination rates and apparently has millions, millions of doses of Pfizer hanging around uh, going off. It does go off. Um, and uh, that's the hope that that will be announced later today. Watch out for that around about one o'clock. I'll be um, in Parliament covering uh, question time and uh, whatever we get from the government there. Watch out as well um, for news on uh, what's happening with the numbers. Uh, we heard yesterday, obviously three days in a row at 20 cases. That's not so much the key number. The key number is the number of mystery cases. These are ones not connected to a household member or an established contact. There's currently 33 of those, or there was at uh, 1 o'clock yesterday, and there were two new ones yesterday. My reading of the questions and answers to Ashley Bloomfield and the Prime Minister yesterday is that we're unlikely to see a level drop for Auckland from four to three until we have a significant run of no new mystery cases. Now that's the key number to watch. So there were two yesterday and there's still currently 33 they haven't worked out. Uh, that will be one to watch, not just for Auckland, but for the rest of us. You'd have to say we're in level 2.5 or Delta 2 until uh, Auckland can get these mystery cases out of the way. 
And even then, uh, there's no chance of of any sort of um, significant loosening of border restrictions. Got to realise yesterday, the RSA one, sorry, the RSE registered seasonal employer scheme, the one-way bubble designed to bring in workers from Vanuatu, Tonga, and Samoa was suspended yesterday because of a lack of MIQ space. The issue, of course, is that more than half of the MIQ quarantine spaces are taken up with locally acquired cases at the moment. And, uh, of course, any thought of uh, travelling to Australia, forget that, at least until, you'd have to say, the end of next year. My gut feel is still it's 2023, because of what's happening in Australia is awful. Yesterday, New South Wales reported over 1,200 new cases, but um, more concerningly, it released new modelling um, showing that it's likely to get over 2,000 cases a day next month, and its ICUs will be over capacity by the beginning of November. The officials there say they've got plans to you know, have uh, jury-rigged extra capacity of ICUs and believe that they'll also be able to shuffle people around through the rest of Australia. Uh, good luck with that. Um, th- there might be a few restrictions on movements across the border, although the, the real issue, of course, is not so much the ICU capacity for COVID. It's for non-COVID people. And that's something that's um, hitting us here too. Uh, the number of elective surgeries is dropping. The other problem for Australia is that Victoria is in real trouble. So over 200 cases yesterday and some new modelling out overnight showing that they are headed for 4,000 cases a day. And their ICUs would be overwhelmed in November as well. And remember, both New South Wales and Victoria have essentially given up on the elimination strategy. They say that they can't vaccinate their way out of this and um, it's lost. They've lost control, essentially. So they're going to, you know, be reducing their um, their uh, restrictions, particularly once they get over the seventy percent vaccination mark. And you've got to know that New South Wales is still only forty percent fully vaccinated. They expect to get that seventy percent level by um, early to mid October, but. Uh, you've got to remember that um, the modelling and the experience for the for countries overseas that 70% is not anywhere near high enough to get any sort of um, herd immunity effect. And um, that means Australia is essentially a COVID zone until um, it, it, it um, can get vaccination rates up much higher than that and starts to squash that um, that essentially means that New Zealand is um, not going to be connecting to the rest of the world for, you'd have to say, another year or so in any sort of meaningful way. Obviously, um, emergency cases back and forth, but because of the pressure on MIQ and the restrictions that are going to come um, to try and stop these uh, um, breakouts from uh, MIQ facilities, that's going to be very difficult. Okay, what else is happening in the world, uh, the political economy of the world? An interesting thing out of Australia, um, this sort of flew under the radar a bit yesterday, the Sydney Morning Herald reporting that news corporation, Rupert Murdoch's team, team, team Rupert, so in Australia that means the Australian, the two Sydney and Melbourne tabloids, plus Sky News Australia, and of course globally Fox News, in Australia, uh, they're going to launch an editorial campaign next month to get the major developed countries to target zero net zero emissions by 2050. 
That is a big change. Uh, obviously, Murdoch is, Murdoch's um, empire has been one of the least uh, convinced on climate science and the least interested in climate action. And that is a big change. Um, so from October, they'll be launching editorial campaigns across Australia to convince Australians that they actually need to reduce carbon emissions. And that is an interesting little change in the global political economy because uh, Fox News, of course, in America and to a lesser extent the rest of the world have wreaked havoc on climate change and, of course, um, uh, anti-vax uh, um, views over the last uh, couple of years. And if they're changing their views, at least on climate change, that um, is interesting and some good news. Um, good news uh, for some, not so good for others elsewhere in the global political economy. The aluminium price uh, hit a new decade high overnight. That is great news for for um, TY Point workers. Um, that means they're more likely to keep their jobs for a little bit longer. Uh, and, but it's a problem for the electricity industry and electricity consumers and those hoping that New Zealand can achieve some real uh, climate gains, um, not burning a million tonnes of coal for a start and using that 12% of electricity production coming out of Manapuri, um elsewhere in New Zealand, particularly the South Island, to uh, try and reduce our emissions, not just that, but keep prices down to try and encourage people out of their petrol and diesel cars into electric cars. Of course, that only works when TY Point is not operating. <laughs> the assumption that everyone has is that it's not a viable uh, uh, plant. Well, it's very viable uh, with the sort of aluminium prices we've got at the moment. And the reason why aluminium prices are at a de decade high is there's been a coup in Guinea. So I debated whether or not to include this piece of news in yesterday's Dawn Chorus. I thought, why? Why would anyone in New Zealand care about Guinea? Um, it's completely, you know, irrelevant to us. A coup there, they happen every five minutes in various places in the world. Why should we care? Well, of course, of course, there is a, a ripple effect um, right down to Invercargill. So everyone in Invercargill needs to know today there was a coup in Guinea. It is the world's second largest producer of bauxite, and that has pushed up the aluminium price to a decade high and made life um, more certain for them. Not great news for electricity consumers and those hoping for uh, better news on the climate front. Um, in particular, the Climate Commission has uh, pretty much put its eggs in the basket of no more TY Point. And uh, that will be an interesting one to see when the government comes out with its latest uh, contributions for the big conference in Glasgow coming up in November. What else is happening in the world um, that is of interest here? Uh, little scoops and bits and pieces in New Zealand. Phil Pennington, who's always a good reporter out of RNZ, has um, discovered that there is an increasing move towards using price escalation clauses in home building contracts. Previously, a lot of these contracts are fixed price contracts. Uh, but because of shortages of building materials and the costs rising and delays with COVID, a lot of the, uh, the house builders are going, ah, that's a bit too risky. I'm taking all the risk here. I need to force that off onto the buyer. However, that's a problem for our overall plans of getting to lots of new houses because the banks do not like lending to people off the plan if they don't have a fixed price contract for the project. And it's one of the reasons they've been reasonably reluctant to lend on 
been a lot on these um, apartments and, and mixed uh, use developments and um, medium density housing. So that is uh, something to keep an eye on today. Other bits and pieces of fun, Tinder has reported that out of New Zealand a lot of people are using the app to try to find partners to buy houses with. Um, there's a good quote from someone here on Tinder, quote, the bank told me I needed to find a partner to buy a house. Another one said, um, just want someone to buy a house with. Nothing serious is the quote from, from Tinder there. A bit of fun. Some other interesting deep dives I've got in today's Storm Chorus, particularly around this issue of ICU beds, because essentially we're not going to be able to open up until a vaccination rate is at such a high level that with incursions through the border, the number of cases uh, would be low enough so that our ICU units can handle it. Now, there's been some debate about whether we've actually increased the amount or the capacity of our ICU units to deal with people who are ventilated uh, over the last 18 months. Um, essentially, we haven't, and that's not necessarily because uh, we didn't have the rooms or uh, there was a shortage of building materials or anything. It's all about staff. So for every one of these beds, you need five incredibly highly trained uh, um nurses and various other uh, um, highly skilled people and of course because our wages are 30% lower than the rest of the world well our world meaning Australia um, there has been quite a bit of poaching going on from the Australian hospitals who of course desperately need ICU staff as well so everyone else in the world is trying to gear up their ICU departments to deal with COVID surges and as we've heard this morning, um, Australia's hospitals will be absolutely desperate in the coming months. And so the hopes of being able to employ extra people, particularly when there's so much uncertainty around the residency applications for the third to um, half of people who are here on various, uh, who, have, who are um, imported um, uh, skilled workers in the health sector, uh, this is one of the reasons why it's unlikely to see, you're unlikely to see an increase in ICU capacity, providing some space for um, the economy to open up anytime soon. Uh, while we have vaccination rates uh, as low as they are at the moment, obviously that will catch up a bit towards the end of the year. But that question of how much of an opening up can you handle, given the ICU departments you've got, knowing that the modelling from the um, study done for The Lancet published a couple of weeks ago showed that uh, over the next two years, if we got to 90% vaccination of the total population, so that includes under 12s, and we had 10 incursions of uh, COVID every day through the border, which is very possible given what we know about what was coming through MIQ, then you would have uh, thousands of hospitalizations and more importantly a forecast of a th over a thousand deaths in a two-year period, so 500 deaths per year. Now whether our ICUs could handle that, um, given that they are already stressed out and you've seen significant reductions in elective surgeries because of all that, you'd have to doubt it. Um, interesting um, deep dive too, I've linked to it in today's Dawn Chorus from Stephen Topless, the chief economist at BNZ, who has written a piece essentially saying that it will become politically untenable 
for the government to keep the very strict elimination and closed borders stance too much longer through the end of this year into early next year. And I think the pressure will go on. I, however, think that he underestimates the um, depth of feeling amongst voters and the awareness, hyper-awareness of the government about that, uh, the depth of feeling about keeping elimination and keeping the borders closed. Because remember, for most people, they don't have um, any particular personal exposure to closed borders. And for a lot of people who aren't necessarily rich, uh, travelling is off the agenda most times anyway. And uh, for those people who haven't left, um, a lot of their families are here. They're not so worried about the ones overseas or people who are coming back. You've got a much less mobile population. That is a political concern um, and one that we'll have to watch over the next six to 12 months. I am Bernard Hickey. That was a dawn chorus for uh, Tuesday the 7th of September on the kaka. Kakite anō.